You're listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we are joined with a really cool guest. Um, this is his second appearance on the show, Neil Bawa. I uh, I am a huge fan, Neil. I, I I don't know if you remember, we first met at Joe Fairless's event, uh, the Best Ever Conference in 2019. In Denver. And, and Denver, and and you gave me where you gave everybody the uh, the market analysis tool, um, yeah. and and I have used that religiously for the last several years. Every single time an opportunity comes up in a new market, the first thing I do is go straight back to that spreadsheet that you gave me in January of or 2020, and um, and I've I've sent it to so many people, and 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 I'm a huge fan of a lot of the um, the, the stuff you have put out um, specifically around market selection and data analysis. So really excited uh, to have you back on the show. For those of our listeners that aren't familiar, for the very few that aren't familiar with you, can you give give them a kind of a, a brief background of what you did before real estate, what you've been up to lately? And, um, and then, yeah, I'd love sure. to hop into the show. Sure. I'm a technologist. So, you know, you can call me a nerd, a dork or a geek. I, I, and I like all of that. Um, so Silicon Valley, data science, computer science, that's my background. Had a successful tech career as a partner in a company that had three companies running under it, sold all three at class leading multiples in 2013, spent three months trying to retire. The first month was great. The second month was okay. The third <laughs> month, my wife tried to kill me. Um, so I decided <laughs> I didn't want to give her a second chance. Um, and, and you know, I'd been doing real estate both by myself for tax avoidance and for cash flow for about 10 years before that. And also I'd been doing it with, with my company because my company had me build campuses from scratch. So I, I built one from scratch and I, I, I six of them, I basically gutted and built. And so it had been a great experience, both from the perspective of making my company lots of dollars because of the benefits of real estate and making myself lots of dollars because of the benefit of real estate. And so that's what started my journey into real estate, switched over in 2013. But be, be, before I switched over uh, to real estate full-time, I already had about 20,000 people following me. You mentioned briefly uh, that you know I, I do uh, three or four different kinds of analytics. The one that's most popular is market selection, where I give people a 10-minute toolkit where you can take in any city in America, no matter how big or small and compare it with any other city in America, no matter how big or small. So that's very popular. And so there were tens of thousands of people following me at that point in time when I moved over in real estate. So it was a pretty smooth move and accelerated me. I, I've done more projects than most people I know, maybe not Joe, Joe Fairless, but most people. Um, so uh, currently have 22 projects. Many of those has, have exited with class leading multiples. Uh, and we are currently doing 10 new projects. So in the next four months, we will launch 10 successive projects. Um, unlike most of the people that show up on you know, the rental show, we do not believe in only multifamily value add. We believe multifamily value add should be the foundation of syndication. It should be the foundation. But just like a foundation doesn't work by itself, we believe that there has to be more stuff put on it. We believe in diversification. So we have very successful storage projects. We have Whopper industrial projects that have done phenomenally well. We have uh, townhome projects. We do build to rent. We build apartments. And of course, in the middle of it all, we're constantly doing multifamily value add. 
So $500 million portfolio with about $400 million in contract, about 600 investors already invested with us, both as investors and as fourplex buyers, because we sell fourplexes in 10 different markets. Um, and then, um, yeah, that, that's what I do on Monday through Friday. And then on Saturday and Sunday, I'm furiously doing research on some obscure analytical thing. And my focus, my obsession is, how do I take something that's very, very complex, involves thousands of different variables, and break it down to something that people can do in 10 minutes? I have this obsession about 10 minutes, Sterling. I find that most people, we're all ADD, especially the people that are on social media. <laughs> I'm not. I know I have a huge social media presence, but it's not me. Um, right. So the, the key is that I want people to be able to perform an analytical action in 10 minutes or less. So sometimes it takes me you know, a thousand hours to come up with something. It takes me another 2000 hours just to figure out how to get it down to 10 minutes. Absolutely. Was that the Einstein quote? If you don't understand something simply, you don't understand yes. it. It's based on that. Yes. I, I think the, the key though, is that it's not meant to be degrading people in any, any way. The truth is that we live in an instant world where applications on the iPhone offer astonishing things in seconds. So your mind becomes sure. wired to being able to achieve other astonishing things in seconds. So I, I thought maybe if I pick 10 minutes as my mark, things will go well. Now, when I do webinars and I do 10 webinars a year, they're very data-driven. They're extremely colorful and, and, and animated. And I do them on my platform called multifamilyu.com. Those are about 40 minutes. Um, but I, I figure once I've gotten you in front of me, I think you'll give me 40 minutes if, you know, there's no emergency. So, sure. and, and those are recorded there. There's about 40,000 people that watch them every year. So there's 10 of them. And this, this is actually a crazy quarter for us because I'm doing three brand new webinars built to rent. Why the 55 plus active 55 plus market is the most profitable in the next five years and prop tech and why every real estate company that goes public is now worth five or 10 billion. So I'm doing three of those one on November one on November 4th, one on November 23rd, one on December, December 13th. Awesome. So what did you want to come to talk to us about today? Well, you know, what's been ex exciting for me lately is uh, each year when we do research, we do this event called Disruptive Trends, and we'll do 10 different trends. And then we'll poll our audience to see which ones did they find most disruptive, most compelling, most world-changing. And then you know, and this year they came back with two of them. And I'd love to talk with, uh, with you about these two trends. I'll give you their names and then we can get into whichever one you want. One of them is, is the future of hybrid work and how it changes real estate, right? And the second one is how tokenization makes real estate into stock. Talk to me about tokenization because I have no idea what mm -hmm. that is. And I, sure. I, I think I have a slight understanding of hybrid work. I'd, lo I'd love to hear about both of them, but can you start by defining and explaining what you mean by tokenization? Sure. Um, Apple's worth 500 billion, but nobody ever buys $500 billion worth of Apple. What Apple's done is they've taken their total stock and chunked it into pieces and each piece is, you know, whatever, $100, $200. Right. So what Apple has basically done is they have tokenized the value of their company. If people can tokenize a company, why can't they tokenize other things? You can buy private jets today and timeshare them. Well, why doesn't anyone ever tokenize real estate? Why is it that I get on a podcast with Sterling Chapman? He has a great guest and the great guest says, 
I think the best city to invest in America is Idaho Falls, Idaho. 99% of the people on this podcast have never even heard of Idaho Falls, Idaho. And if they've heard of it, they've never been there. But now this credible person says, Idaho Falls, Idaho is the best way to, to invest in, in real estate. And here's the thing. We all talk about the power of real estate, the amazing power, the fact that it has higher returns in the stock market. Yes. It has higher cash flow than the stock market. Yes. But let's talk about the great weakness. What is the great weakness of, of real estate? It takes 1,000 to 10,000, the amount of time that it takes to buy a stock to make a real estate investment. Okay, and people are like 1,000 to 10,000, I think he's, he's completely off. Okay, well, on this phone, it takes me, let's call it one minute to buy yeah. a stock, but I'm gonna say 10 minutes, okay? Just, you know, because there's research, I'll, I'll call it 10 minutes, right? So 10,000 minutes is the amount of minimum time that it takes me to buy just a single family home. Forget about a multifamily 200 unit that I'm buying. Let's sure. keep that aside. But let's talk about you decide today that because somebody said Idaho Falls is a great place to invest in, I'm going to go buy a single family rental home in Idaho Falls. I challenge you, you will spend more than 10,000 minutes because 10,000 minutes is only 150 hours. Remember all the research, calling the brokers, figuring out stuff, reading comps, then getting into a plane, flying there the first time, the second time, the third time, buying a property, then figuring out all the things that you have to rehab, talking to property managers, flying a fourth time, getting a tenant in there, and then maybe going one more time a year from there just to make sure everything's okay. There is no way you'd spend less than 10,000 minutes. That's the great weakness of real estate. Sure. It's a thousand times less you know, effective from a time perspective. What if, what if we finally, technology finally gets to the point where it commoditizes the last industry in the world that it hasn't commoditized? Remember, everything's commoditized. Airlines, those travel agents are gone. Insurance, click, click, buy, right? But you can't click, click, buy real estate. So here's the vision of tokenization, and then I'll tell you exactly what's happening. Tokenization is the concept of taking any kind of real estate, single family, multifamily, a hotel, a parking lot, a uh, you know Starbucks, mm -hmm. breaking it up into hundred or thousand dollar chunks and selling it on the internet, just like stock is sold. Now, when Sterling goes on to E-Trade and buys one share of Google, never has Sterling thought about the fact, wait, wait a minute, is this, is this the real stock? And, and, and wait a minute, Google only has a fixed amount of stock. I bought this one share. Does that mean that now there's one less share available in the universe, right? What if I bought a share and the total number of shares of Google remained the same? Sterling never thinks about that. Somehow, automagically, the total number of Google shares decreases by one because Sterling clicked a button, right? Sure. Right? And, and so we, we become used to this magic that, yeah, I just bought 10 shares of Google and nobody else can buy those same 10 shares because maybe there were only 10 shares to begin with. What if one millionth of a second later, somebody else clicked the button, right? Wouldn't they end up buying the same 10 shares? We never think about that. Right? So there's an enormous amount of technology that has taken seven or eight decades for the stock market to get to the point where you can take an asset and break it up into a specific number of chunks. Now, we're going to be able to do that with real estate. Now we're gonna be able to say, I listened to this podcast, I saw these five great cities, and I'm gonna to go to my phone into some app, which doesn't exist yet, but boy, there's 30 of them coming. Sure. And go in there and say, I wanna buy real estate, I want to buy it in Idaho Falls. 
I want to buy a single family. You know, I don't want to buy townhomes. I don't want to buy a manufactured housing. I just want this particular asset class. And it'll give you 20 examples. And you look at them and you see the pictures. And you're going to say, buy a thousand of this, a thousand of this, 500 of this, 200 of this, 100 of this. And now in 15 minutes, I'm an investor in the Idaho Falls real estate market. Right? Okay. And now that stock can be traded and it's, it's hosted on the blockchain. So there's two parts to tokenization. One is that it's ch chunking up real estate, right? And you might say, really, so this thing though, but I bought the stock, how, do the, how does the rent get to me? The answer is, sure. how, do you care about the fact that once you bought your Google stock, how will the, the, the um, what do you call those, dividends get to you? They get to you automatically, correct? Imagine the same sure. way the rent will get to you automatically because in the background, services are finally being built to take rental profits, upload them to the blockchain and distribute back over to you. If you own one one thousandth of this home, you will get one one thousand of the rent profits. It'll happen automatically. Tokenization takes real estate from being 10,000 times less efficient than stock to being as efficient as stock. It is an enormous change. Okay. I have a plethora of questions. First one is, what do you think, A, that'll do to our, the profitability of real estate, right? And then, because I would imagine there's probably a lot of folks in between me and the real estate, right? I'm sure the guy who invented the app, the guy who's running the app, the guy who's doing the math, like, I would imagine that uh, that I'm, I'm getting feed out on the end to where a lot of the amazing benefits in real estate that we enjoy today might get, you know, like if I go and invest in a, a REIT, right. I'm not getting the same amount of returns as if I invest in one of your syndications or buy a single family house down the street. And, and I just see the tokenization as being like an extremer version of that. Is that, is that your perception of, of how that would be affected? It's a commonly held perception, but if you equate that to the stock market, it hasn't happened. Because here's what happened. Over the last 30 years, as the stock market essentially tokenized, right, everything became financialized, right? Every kind of asset except for real estate became financialized on the stock market. You would expect that the returns in the stock market would have decreased, which makes perfect sense. So many middlemen, so many people playing with the system, so many computer algorithms that are much better at figuring things out than you are. But actually, that hasn't happened to any appreciable degree. And the reason why is it increased the size of the investor pool. And as the size of the investor pool in the stock market doubled, quadrupled, then went up double again, then double again, then double again, I mean, it's, it's now about 50 times higher than it was in the, sex, in the 60s, that input of money drove up the price of the assets. And when the underlying asset price went up, the value of each of those stocks or tokens went up. So, you know, I mean, and, and this is all out. Let me finish that thought and I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll bounce back to you. But what we are seeing is that when markets commoditize, right? Yes, in certain examples, the amount of profit that investors make decline. In the long term, what that means is the amount of money that stocks make in a year and the amount of money that real estate makes in a year will become the same right now. Real estate is up here, right? So yes, you, sure. you are correct. It's going to decline and become just like stock, right? Risk adjusted returns will become the same. But in the short run, you will see a massive increase in real estate prices because it now becomes a traditional not asset. It becomes a, it's not an alternative asset anymore because you trade it exactly like every other financial asset. 
my from my understanding it it the returns will lower as it becomes more efficient right the way the reason we're able to take such advantage of real estate is because it's not as efficient right everything on the market like like it, unless i'm you know warren buffett reading these you know, these 500 page prospectuses every day, like there's probably not something that's going to happen at Apple that Sterling Chapman's going to get hip to before everybody on wall street. And that is what makes, you know, wall street so efficient and everything valued at what everything is actually valued at. Whereas with real estate, like I have a specific knowledge about, you know, Jefferson highway in Baton Rouge that, that Neil Bawa doesn't know about. Right. And I'm able to take advantage of that inefficiency that, you know, Grant Cardone doesn't know that the price of this house on Jefferson Highway in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, is actually, you know, $100,000 higher than it's being listed for. And I would think what you're talking about with the tokenization would um, would make it more efficient and suck some of those profits out. But I also have no, no doubt it absolutely would. It absolutely would. And, and it would, you know, your example of you know, that house being worth $100,000 more. In the future, the system would be, for example, if you look at brokerages, like real estate brokers, right? 30 years ago, there were very few brokerages. Now all the action is in a brokerage. If you want to become a broker, you have to sign up with one of the brokerages because they've taken over the market. Imagine 10 years from now, there being equivalent of those brokerages in every city in the US, including yours um, in, in Louisiana, that know that market. They know everything in that market. They're always squatting on it. They're the ones making 2,000 offers a day through a series of you know, agents that they've hired in. So everything that happens in that marketplace gets sucked up through their funnel. And that funnel is going into some app where people can buy 945 million shares of everything that they're doing in, you know, in, in Louisiana. So that is the future. It's both good and bad. The value of real estate assets has to increase radically in the future for it to become the same sort of PE ratios as stock. So that's the good news for holders of real estate. The bad news is this, real estate is the last major industry in America where you can have you know, a million brokers. You can have two, three, four, 10 million real estate investors. Can you have 2 million airlines? No, as commercialization happened, this, in the stock market, powerful airlines bought all of the non-powerful ones and roll them up. And now basically the most of the US is just five airlines, right? Sure. You can take that example and you can apply it to hundreds and hundreds of other markets, right? Those 30,000 neighborhood stores that used to exist in California are now down to about a thousand. And most of those are basically just Costco's and Walmarts. I can give right. you, you know, 50 million examples. Anytime commoditization occurs, tokenization occurs in an asset class, there is a massive wealth effect followed by that wealth being concentrated in every year in lesser and lesser bigger companies. So we're going to first see the wealth effect, then we're going to see everybody get squeezed out, and eventually you, you end up being in one of two positions. Either you're running one of those big companies or you're working for one of those big companies. So eventually you simply don't have the ability to go and bid on an individual home. I don't think 20 years from now people will be building on, bidding on individual homes to rehab them that market will become unavailable because those homes, when they need to be listed, will go to a, a listing exchange where all of these big companies will bid and suck them up before you ever get the chance. So good news, 
bad news. But the wealth effect will be extraordinary because real estate will have to go to the stock PE ratio. And that's mind boggling. I mean, it essentially means real estate has to uh, double multiple times to get to that point. So what you're saying is those of us that already own a bunch will be in a lot better spot when this phenomenon comes to fruition. So don't sell anything for 20 years, basically. Well, sell, but buy, keep <laughs> buying. Understand that yeah. you're in a one-time wealth effect when, when uh, commoditization of an asset happens. And a lot of people are like, well, real estate is already very expensive. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Okay. Let me give you an example. Okay. In, in March last year, when COVID happened, the stock market fell 30% and then it went back up, right? Mm-hmm. Real estate did not fall 1%, right? So there were a few isolated examples where there were 5% discounts for a month or so. And then obviously you saw what happened to real estate after that. Uh, Bitcoin went to a quarter of its value, eventually ending up at $7,000 before going to $63,000. So it went up 9X. So other assets are up 8X, 9X, 3X. Why is real estate expensive at only going up 30% from last year. Right. So you mentioned it twice. And, and let me start by saying, I don't understand the first thing about cryptocurrencies, but you mentioned blockchain and then you mentioned Bitcoin and you seem to be one of the smartest folks I know. So I'd love to hear you explain it to me. What is your perception about cryptocurrencies role in the current market, in the future market, and as it relates to, to real estate? Cryptocurrency has nothing to do with blockchain. Blockchain is simply a mechanism to carry, you know, cryptocurrencies. It's the back end. Remember those what, that Google example that I gave you that things don't sure. get screwed up. You know, the blockchain is doing that in the back background and making sure that the government can't steal your money. That's one of the biggest advantages of sticking stuff on the blockchain. The blockchain is designed to be agnostic of federal banks and governments. They can't, you know, later on steal your money. So it's just a mechanism. Cryptocurrencies are an indication of people's expectations of future inflation, their fear, you know, the, just the, the article that they read five minutes ago on, you, on, on Facebook. It's, it's all of those things. So to me, there is no fundamental reason for cryptocurrencies to exist, but there are a million fear-based reasons for them to exist and to thrive. So even though I, I see no fundamental reason for them, I see all kinds of reasons that they will continue and thrive Cryptocurrency has already replaced gold. People like me used to buy gold 15 years ago. I had you know, 5% of my net worth in gold. I haven't added to that 5%, so it's now a lot less than 5%. But I wouldn't buy gold today. If I wanted to add to my insurance, I would just buy crypto, right? Because okay. it's, it's replaced gold from that perspective. It's not an, it's not an asset class. I mean, it's, it's highly speculative, right? So even... Even institutions that are buying it are buying 2% of it because their investors are putting a lot of pressure on them. They're, they're like, okay, I'm just going to do this 2% so my investors stop calling me about crypto. And the rest of the 98% is where I'm going I'm to focus my attention because there's really nothing I can learn. Crypto makes no sense whatsoever. And I don't think it'll continue to make sense in the future either. It's just a anomaly in our financial system caused by the extraordinary unfairness of the financial system, right? So anytime... There's a financial system that is unfair, extraordinary. It, it will throw anomalies. In the matrix, you know, you see those black cats walking by every time there's an anomaly, right? Because mm-hmm. the system is under stress. And so it's causing anomalies. Well, block, you know, cryptocurrency is an anomaly. It's, it has to exist as long as the system is not stable. As, as you know, our system is not 
quite stable because it's it's bizarre. Blockchain is nothing like that. Blockchain is simply a phenomenal way to take a decentralized asset, put anything on the blockchain, and governments can't touch it effectively. Because the blockchain from the very beginning was designed so that no one would be in control, right? There is, if, if every government in the world got together, went into a room today and came back and saying, we want to take all the money on blockchain, there is no method that exists for them to do it. There isn't any. Right. So what blockchain does is it decentralizes asset control. I don't want to get too far into your business here, but I'm just curious your opinion on the subject. You are buying cryptocurrency or you believe in in Bitcoin as a diversification like you used to with gold? Okay. Yes, because our, our financial system is becoming less and less fair, which which increases fear. Fear is measured sure. by a, a something known as the, the VIX, and, and the VIX increases even as people are getting rich, richer. So people are getting richer and becoming more anxious over time. An increase in anxiety is good for Bitcoin. So, what is your take on the overall market? And, and then we'll get it. We'll get into the other the other topic. I know you want to talk about, but I'm, I just, you know, I I want to take advantage of having um, such a smart fellow on my show. What is your take on the overall market? Um, what do you see in the next five, 10 years, um, baseline economy, as well as, as, as real estate? So the next three, I'll break it up into two pieces. So the next two years, I expect the real estate market to be extremely strong. Uh, single family, multifamily, built to rent. I think all of these will do well. Built to rent probably will do better than anything else because it's a it's the biggest beneficiary of COVID. You know, all the stuff that happened in our heads because of COVID. BTR is probably the biggest beneficiary of that. Um, so those asset classes are going to do really well. Starting 2023, the market, I think, will start to get muddy and then really get muddy in 2024 as we start to realize and this, by the way, is not hidden information. What I'm about to say is not secret, but you're not going to find it on Facebook because nobody wants to forward this stuff on Facebook. Go to John Burns and look at their tweets, and you'll notice that they're showing you that U.S. demographic demographics are looking worse and worse. Population growth is slowing. Birth rate is, is, is collapsing for a, a variety of reasons. I could spend an hour on that. But bottom line is our population growth in the U.S. is slowing radically, Two reasons, we, we no longer basically have significant immigration at the, into the US. And despite the political third rail of immigration, all I can say is in the past, there's no doubt that the more immigrants we got, the more it helped our economy, right? And the, as to whether it was fair or not, I'm not getting into that political debate, but it was, there's no doubt that there's no economist in the world that would say immigration was bad for you. They, they would always say it's good or very good. Well, now at this point, even in a Democrat-led um, you know, uh, Senate, you can't really have large amounts of immigration. It's, it's at this point, it's a taboo subject, which means immigration has really slowed. Birth uh, rate in the U.S. has been slowing dr drastically. The impact of this will be seen by 2023, 2024, where all of these projections, you know, today people say we have five and a half million, you know, homes short. Well, they're basing them on a birth rate that was two or three years old. If you base it on today's birth rate, it's going to drop and it's going to drop to three and a half million. If you base it on next year's birth rate, it's going to drop to two and a half million. You see where I'm going with this? At some sure. point, the market just adjusts to a new reality that we don't need as many homes as we think we need. And the market always overshoots. So at some point, I think that you need to see an adjustment that is going to happen. And at the same point, something that I've been talking about for a long time, telling people it's not important yet, but it's coming 
the first 100 unit 3D printed home you know, community is being built in Austin. You can Google it. It's partially built so you can see pictures. And 3D printing basically makes real estate cheaper, um, you know, because the homes that you build with 3D printing, initially they were building cheaper homes. Then they realized that you can do something that is dramatically better looking. Imagine, because you're 3D printing a whole house, imagine if every wall had a different texture. Like the wall here in front of me was one kind of texture. And that wall was another kind of texture. And then the roof was another kind of texture. Imagine that I could do some truly amazing stuff with the house, click it into a computer and then ask people, what kind of textures would you like? Click, 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 click. You know, on a, on a light, large tablet, you're selecting your home. And normally people select things like what kind of lighting I want or what kind of kitchen cabinets I want. But what if you could select every part of the home and custom build it? And then a 3D printer would build it for you in about 60 to 90 days. I think that's coming. I don't think it really affects anything until about 2024. By 2027, it has a extraordinarily radical effect. Good things and bad things. I, I think that people just feel like real estate can only go in one direction. Prices will go up. Obviously, we've, we've just had the, like, the greatest 12 months in our history in, in, in real estate. And there's just this feeling that it will keep going forever. And it's just complete nonsense. Every time the market becomes more unreasonable, people will find more ways to make it reasonable. People will, because what they're doing is they're trying to make money. Somebody's inventing a 3D printer that can print a house in, in 60 days. They're not really trying to solve the housing problem, but they understand that if they solve even a part of it, they will become a multi-billionaire. So the more unreasonable a market gets, the more furious amounts of money is spent on solving those problems. And right now, technology is very active in trying to resolve real estate problems. Awesome. That's some awesome insight. Let's hop over to your other uh, disruptive event, which is the um, hybrid work, right? Hybrid work. Tell us about, and, and I'm assuming that is working from home mostly and going into the office occasionally, which I, I, I do. And I think most of us learned in during COVID that we could pretty much all do. Correct. You know, what's interesting is people tend to focus on what you just said. They tend to focus on, I learned that I could work from home and go into the office a few times. Actually, that, that's not the big thing. Hybrid work simultaneously trained 300 million CEOs in the world that they could run their companies remotely, right? Sure. If in the next 30 years, that wouldn't have happened. I can tell you that nobody could have trained the CEO of Apple in the next 30 years on how to train, run Apple remotely, but he had no choice. There isn't a CEO in the world, in any country in the world, that now doesn't feel 100% confident that they can run their company remotely. That's the big part. That's what changed. An entire generation of CEOs went through one full year of training on how to run companies remotely. And what's amazing is, like Sterling Chapman may have a small little company today, but 20 years from now, Sterling Chapman could be a billionaire. And he's still going to remember this because it's one of the biggest events in his life. And he's still going to feel 100% confident that he can run a company remotely. So the impact of hybrid work is not what just happened. The impact of hybrid work is you've now trained 7 billion people to work remotely. And on top of that, you've trained every CEO on the planet. Imagine the impact that knock-on effects that creates as people get older and wealthier and run more and more companies. Their entire way of thinking has shifted you can't possibly be seeing that right now because many of them haven't opened those companies. 
the decisions that they make about which offices they go in, where they position their companies haven't been made yet because the next Google is just starting in a garage somewhere, right? And the way this next Google progresses is going to be so incredibly different from the last Google because of what we just went through. Right? So now you're beginning to understand, okay, I, I get it. So all of these future superstars are going to think completely differently and no one's sure. going to, and, and no, no chairman, no advisory board is going to say, no, 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 son, don't do that. Because every one of those advisory board members was trained how to run their, do their advisory remotely for a year. So there's basically no one left on the planet that is going to object when you say, I can run a company completely remotely. So most remote companies are not Google, Microsoft, and Apple. They are all future Google, Microsofts, and Apple, which from the very beginning will structure themselves for hybrid work and remote work. So it's all in the future. You're seeing not the edge of the iceberg, but the edge of the edge. That's what you've seen so far. But let's talk about that, right? There's What's 80 the million people, right? I mean, it's, it's just an enormous impact already. And, and obviously, the, you know, the best way to prove it is Look at the home markets, right? So greatest price increase in history last 12 months, 20%, you know, across the board in the US, places like Phoenix and Austin were almost 40%. So that's just a mind boggling number. Keeping keep in mind that home price growth was slowing right before COVID, radically slowing. Uh, greatest rent in increases in history, 12% 12, 12 in the last 12 months. Usually we get 2% in a year. If you get 3%, we're really delighted right? We got 12, right? So you've seen the impact of hybrid work already. What I'm saying is this is just the beginning. This can't be the end of hybrid work. This is just the first year of the hybrid work revolution and changes the world because we keep thinking about these things in the US. You know, Google has a bigger impact on the US. Facebook has a bigger impact on the US. Well, maybe not. Facebook is everywhere. But there's so many of big companies like Tesla's impact. 90% of the vehicles they've sold are in the US. But the impact of COVID is on every one of the 200 countries in the world. They were all impacted equally, right? So it's so much bigger than any one company's impact has ever been because it impacts every person on the planet. People in Siberia know about COVID, right? And they live a thousand miles away from a city. That's how big this is. That's how early it is. Hybrid work changes the way we do things. And many of it, I simply have no idea. But when people come up with their new companies, they're simply going to structure them differently, right? And even for the existing companies, we're seeing these kinds of changes happen. So we think that there's three impacts, right? And I think some of these you may not think about as much as the others. The first one, I'm going to do the most obvious. People are going to move from expensive blue states to cheaper red states. Notice I didn't say cheap because the red states are no longer cheap, right? So Phoenix, 40% increase in home prices. But they're still cheaper, right? So people are going to move to these kinds of cheaper red states. Second, which is a bigger one, People are going to move to places that are better looking and have a better quality of life because now the, the, the fact that they, you know, those places in the past didn't have as many jobs as they wanted is irrelevant. So Asheville, North Carolina is going to do really well because it's beautiful. It has lots of resources, hiking trails, mountains, beautiful places, Boise, Idaho, you know, places that are naturally beautiful are going to do really, really well. And the third one is, true tertiaries will do really, really well. And I'm going to define that. 
a tertiary market, like I invest in Phoenix, but I don't like Phoenix because it's too expensive. I invest like 30 miles away from Phoenix in Mesa, right? I also invest 30 miles away in the other direction and that's Avondale doing really well, awesome properties, investors making 40% plus you know, annualized projected returns. That's not what I'm talking about because it's still too close to Phoenix. A true tertiary is a market that is at least a hundred miles away from anything else. A hundred miles away, no one could think of commuting. So markets that I'm thinking about are like Dalton, Georgia. I mean, it's, it's not close to anything else, but it's a very nice market. Idaho Falls is an incredible market. Boise is three hours, Salt Lake City is three hours in the other direction. There's dozens of these kinds of tertiary markets. Institutional capital has never invested a dime in them. Why? Because they weren't close to anything else. That has to change. In the last 12 months, for the first time, we are seeing billion dollar institutional capital companies saying, okay, that list that we had looked at five years ago of uh, these true tertiaries, could somebody dig it up? Let's go dig it up and figure it out how these markets are doing. Let's see what we can put in there. And that is happening. I'm seeing astonishing cap rate changes in true tertiaries because I've always believed that the, the age of the true tertiary was going to come. You've heard, heard me say this multiple times in the past as well. I talk about places like Provo, Utah, when everyone else is talking about Dallas, right? Mm-hmm. Provo is 45 miles south of a secondary market, right? But I talk about that. I talk about these kinds of places. I talk about St. George, Utah. It's two hours from everything else in the universe, right? But I build stuff there and it goes completely insane in terms of cap rate. So I've been doing this for years and years. Obviously, I had no idea that COVID would just accelerate this, but it is a massive acceleration. We are now seeing tertiaries drop to four cap, complete wow. tertiary markets, no metro attached, four cap. That is, that's the biggest impact. That's where the most amount of money is being made because there's still lots and lots of pockets in those tertiaries. And why wouldn't people go there? I mean, if somebody grew up in Idaho Falls and eventually moved to Salt Lake or moved to you know, a bigger city, they're going back. They're going sure. back. Two million have moved already. 21 million more have the option of moving. So you know, tip of the iceberg, tip of the iceberg. And remember, there's 80 million white collar workers in the US, people like you and me that work at, on computers, 80 million, right? Of them, I think today, 22 million can move and only 2 million have moved. Only mm-hmm. 2 million out of 80. But in the future, my argument is that 22 million can move today. So that still leaves about, you know, whatever, 58 million that cannot move. I'm arguing that over the next few years, there's going to be a creep here because some of these will eventually say, hey, I want to move. And their companies will be like, hey, I'm okay with, with, with being flexible. Because as newer, younger leaders take over those companies, they're going to know they can do it. And they're going to push back against, you know, bringing people into expensive office space. So some of those remaining 58 will start to creep over. But even if they don't, even if none, not a single person here creeps over, out of 22 million that can move today, only 2 million have moved. So what do you think the impacts are going to be on expensive office space? It's, uh, it's going to be a shift. So we're going to see suburban office space become much more expensive, much, much more expensive. We're already seeing cap rates decline. Just so you know, in the last 12 months, the best performing asset class was not multifamily, not industrial, the two darlings. It was suburban office space. One of the worst was downtown office urban space. Urban office right? space. Office, yeah. office space. So you, you already see that shift happening. But overall, I see 
I am predicting a very flatlined office growth in the U.S. for the next 30 years. Like for the next 20 or 30 years, I don't think the United States is going to need or build more office. Now, what does that mean for you, Sterling Chapman? Because you're really in the single family, multifamily space. The answer is that money is flowing into multifamily. The office money has started to flow. The hotel and retail money has accelerated. It was already flowing you know, before, but the office money, office was a great market. I can tell you there's lots of great investors that I know that hate multifamily. It's like tenants, toilets. You've got 250 people to deal with and gunshots. I sit here in an office tower. I have a tenant locked in for 10 years. It's a company with $50 million in the bank. They look down on us and there's good reasons for them to look down on us because they deal with high quality companies that would never even think about defaulting on a lease, right? Even if they stopped using the office, they just leave it empty and just keep paying until the, their lease runs out. I mean, this happens all the time. So they love office. They love office and they hate multifamily. They're all, they're all, they've all changed their mind in the last 12 months. They realize, oh my God, this is a game changer. I'm not going to invest any more of my money in office. Maybe I'll hold what I have. Every new dime that I, that comes in, I have to go into this multifamily asset class. So today, homes are are up, offices are down in terms of emotion. How that plays out over the next few years, I don't know. You're going to see some um, sporadic, um, you know, meltdowns in the office space in some parts of the U.S. Cert certainly in some expensive blue states like New York, San Francisco. You're going to see downtown office space meltdowns happen, but they're going to be pretty slow. And I'll tell you why. Office space is not like multifamily. With multifamily, we saw rent defaults happen in the first few months of COVID. People stopped paying. Companies don't do that because their credit rating gets hit. They quietly keep paying until the end of their lease. So here's what we're seeing. We're seeing a major meltdown in office that is extended over seven years because five to seven years is the length of the lease. And companies are not willing to break a lease and, and get their credit messed up. So it's a meltdown, but it's going to be stretched out. Let me ask you this. Do you see that meltdown of that space as an opportunity for a multifamily investor or a Airbnb investor to come in and convert that property? I get this question a lot. My answer is in 99 out of 100 cases, no. It's that that asset class is not an easy one to convert. It requires an enormous amount of competency. So there will be billion dollar funds that will be created to convert office space in downtowns into expensive, you know, single family. It is not like a project bright project thing that people like Neil Bawa will be doing because it's, it's just way above our head. What they're doing is very, very complicated, very, very difficult. So I, I don't think it becomes a major market. No, I think there, what we are going to see is some of that downtown office, once it gets cheap enough, will get converted into healthcare offices. Obviously, healthcare has gained a great deal. We're at the beginning of the next healthcare revolution where basically ages will increase continuously for the next 20 or 30 years as we you know, get to DNA. I mean, COVID, the COVID vaccines are the first major benefit, benefit of basically us being able to do DNA sequencing. I'm sure thousands of benefits are coming, right? So I think that the healthcare market, office market will do really well. So there's a conversion there from, you know, going from regular office space to healthcare offices of various kinds. Um, but I think it's, it's still minor. So my, my answer is still overall, no, that's not an efficient way to, to convert offices into multifamily. Doesn't work well. Too many walls, 
too many issues, too many zoning problems. In most cases, it will not pencil. Got it. Got it. Is there, do you see opportunity for um, investments in the healthcare office space? I think so. I, I do think so. I think that you're going to see a remarkable increase in healthcare office space. And this doesn't get enough attention. Everybody talks about this, the you know, population is aging, the baby boomers are getting old, senior housing will do well. Well, look at senior housing. Their occupancy drops every year, okay? Mm -hmm. But look at medical office. Did you notice that throughout COVID, the asset class with the highest occupancy was medical office? 98% occupied in the United States. Multifamily hit 97% last month. Everyone's celebrating because we've never hit 97 in our history. But they were at 98 already. Right. So it doesn't get enough attention. In my mind, I think healthcare offices are a tremendous asset class, very stable asset class, because all those people that are getting older, they don't just need, you know, housing. Uh, senior they housing. Healthcare. They need healthcare. Right. And some some portions of it can be, you know, from home. You know, I, I, I had my shoulder looked at yesterday and I went to my physiotherapist using video, but she was sitting in an office. And I think that mm -hmm. doesn't change easily. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for the sake of time, I want to hop over to our radio round real quick. Just three quick questions for you before you go. Sure. First one is, what's your favorite book? Uh, Miracle Morning. Not because it's the best book in the world, but because if you read it and follow it, you will find your best book. You will have the time to read your best book because you'll have 20 minutes of reading every day as part of your Miracle Morning practice. Yeah, Hal Elrod is great. I, um, I just recently did did the uh, 75 hard challenge and it requires you to read so much a day. And, and my takeaway from that was just that you, you can, you know, like you, you, you make so many excuses, like, oh, I don't have time to work out twice. A day. I don't have time to read. I'd love to read, but I don't have time. Well, when you're doing the, the 75 hard and you've got to hit all these metrics, like you make time, you get everything else you need done. You just, and you make time. And you can get a tremendous amount. I mean, 75 months is 75 days is what, two and a half months. Yeah. I read uh, Principles by Ray Dalio and then another book about Steve Schwartzman from Blackstone. Some big books. I mean, great, great content that uh, I'm really glad I did in, in two and a half months, you know, and I probably have been procrastinating for a year saying I didn't have time. So definitely love, love that for sure. Um, what is your favorite quote? Um, data beats gut feel by a million miles. It's not even close. Data beats gut feel by a million miles. I wrote that one myself and I have it posted in front of me because I, I find that there's always this tendency that as you become more experienced to start following your gut feel. And I've never found it, you know, it doesn't matter if you have 30 years or 50 years of experience. The most experienced investors who know this well, like Warren Buffett, he spends four hours a day reading financial reports, financial sure. reports, data. Right. Absolutely. And what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? I'm a tomato farmer and I'm obsessed with increasing my yield. So I play with LED lights, different kinds of soil, different kinds of tomatoes. And I like them climbing you know, up the vines and I do all kinds of things to basically figure out what is the maximum amount of yield that I can get from two planters that are two feet wide and four feet long. So it's not about 
tomatoes. It's about how can I have the most number of juicy tomatoes from eight square feet? Nice. <laughs> we all need hobbies. Gardening is on my to-do list for next year. Um, we just, we just moved into a place that we have a little more space and we, we never got around to it this past year, but it's on, it's on the agenda for next year. How can our listeners find out more about you, follow you, learn from multifamily university, invest with you? Um, what's the best way to connect? It's really easy. It's just Google Neil Bauer. So I am the only N E A L B A W A on the World Wide web. So Google Neil Bauer, hit enter. You'll see, Google seems to like me. So you'll see, you know, videos, podcasts, you'll see webinars, you'll see conferences that I've taught at. It's all indexed on the web. Just type in Neil Bauer and you'll find your way to me. Um, I think that it's not, it's not hard. If you, if you just don't like hunting and pecking, go to multifamilyu.com. There's an enormous amount of content pre-recorded there for you. Multifamilyu.com with a U. You have done a better job at the SEO game than me. If you Google Sterling Chapman, you'll find a black guy that plays college basketball. Well, <laughs> maybe that's not such a bad thing. Uh, one day, somebody will say something nasty about me on the web, and then I'll regret being the only yeah, Neil Bauer. Uh, right. <laughs> Neil, it was, it was a pleasure. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. Every time I have a conversation with you, I feel smarter or, or dumber. I can't decide, but... Um, it, it, it truly was a pleasure and I, I always enjoy uh, chatting with you and learning from you and, um, and, and, you know, seeing, seeing the world through your, your data eyes. So thank you so much for joining us and uh, look forward to keeping up with everything you got going on. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day, my friend. Thanks for tuning in to the rent roll radio show brought to you by Crestworth capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at CrestworthCapital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.